Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Around the Coin. I interviewed Sushil Prabhu, the CEO of Drop today. Drop.cc, spelled D-R-O-P-P dot C-C is the website. Drop is a pay-per-use transaction platform designed to make it easy for consumers to purchase small-value goods and services like micropayments securely without signups. Their first focus is the creator economy. We talked about the evolution of payments from bundled software payments to SaaS subscription payments. Uh, We talked about the transition that crypto and decentralized payments will present the influence that Visa MasterCard have on the payments industry. Sushil has been in the game a long time. He's been around through the 70s, 80s, the dot-com. He is very seasoned and experienced, and I enjoyed hearing about the trends over time and observing the patterns and observing the trends help us understand where we are today. Drop is an exciting company, and I learned a lot from Sushil. I hope you do as well. If you do, please subscribe to the podcast and and share the podcast with friends. It really does help us grow and I very much appreciate it. So without further ado, here is Sushil Prabhu. All right, Sushil, I'm excited to be talking with you. Uh, You started a company called Drop. You've done many things prior to that. Where were you when the concept for drop hits you? I mean, what, what, what in your life set up starting this company? Sure. So, um, prior to drop, uh, we had a company called, and we still have it called open crowd. Um, it's a company that we had started in 2005, focusing on FinTech innovation, um, specifically for mostly for banks and investment banks in, in Manhattan, in New York city. That's where we started the company. So the concept of drop actually came out in the tail end in the last couple of years as we were focusing a lot on blockchain technology, distributed ledger technology. And that's when we realized that there was a need for micropayments and the technology was right there. And we we saw a lot of different companies uh, tried and then give up. Um, We came up with this concept while we were working with this company called Hadera Hashgraph, uh, it's a distributed ledger company. And um, we decided to just go with it. Right? And we spinned out a new company in 2019, 2020. And um, it's, a, it's a brand new company. It's a, it's a very exciting space. It's a real, real need out there. So yeah, that's where, that's where we came up with. Yeah. 
And, and how do you articulate the problem that you're solving? The, the, the problem that we're solving is in the last 20 years, we've all seen that the digital market, digital services market has done very well. Everything from video streaming to content creation to now, I think we are about to get into the new world of metaverse. All of that is going on extremely well. But there seems to be only two ways by which you sell products and services. So monetization has only happened either through subscription and or through you offer it free and put ads on it. And both of them are pretty attractive models out there. But I think both these models have reached saturation. Uh, you can only subscribe to so many services. And I, don't, I just don't mean streaming. It, everything that you buy in the market, it could be you renting a scooter in New York City or San Francisco or um, having video surveillance in your house, right? You, everyone's got a video camera and you pay uh, $5, $10 a month for subscription. Everything is subscription-based. So we've come to a point where, and especially after pandemic, when the digital services uh, have exploded, There's, there are more digital services companies now than we have ever had before because we all got used to it. It's not just you and I, but the mass population in the world has got used to digital services. What does, that means is every new digital services company that comes out is competing for the same customer population because that's the same population which everyone else is going after. There has to be an alternative method. And basically, consumers need a, need a choice. They need a choice how they buy. I mean, we all are used to buying by usage. You pay your electric bill by usage. I mean, you, you walk into a convenience store. This is the this is an example I give everyone. You walk into a convenience store, you don't buy uh, a soda by subscription. You, you buy a can of soda and you walk away. Um, so you have uh, options in the physical world, the digital world, which is so sophisticated, somehow is still based on a flat fee, um, no option. You got to keep paying every month whether you use it or not. Model. So I think I think it was an interesting model when it came out, subscription model, because only twenty years back we were buying software on an annual contract. If you remember, you would buy Microsoft Word on an annual contract, and then Salesforce came out with this subscription model, and we all jumped into this. I think time has come for us to move a little further and say, let's buy it by usage. I'll only buy a usage. And there's a lot of benefit that will happen. It's not a new concept. It's all we're doing in this drop platform is bringing what we are already used to in the physical world to the digital world. And I think it's going to go to the next world too, which is uh, the metaverse and everything else that comes out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose the, the reason, and tell me if you disagree, that it, it's not currently structured that way is that there's no cost to provide software or there's you know extremely little and there's no marginal cost so or extremely little so in the case of electricity there is a load that the that the network takes when you turn on your oven and that that has to be you know natural gas or coal or nuclear whatever means of energy production to provide that where in the case of software for me to use you know trello or evernote or some tool uh, every day it must cost the company an extra penny, you know, a couple pennies at most. There is currently, right, there is a marginal cost associated with 
file sharing. I think of like Google and Dropbox as having increased uh, ratcheting tiers for storage. Um, yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so you, you're right. Um, the, the pay-per-use model uh, in the digital world is not going to be identical to the physical world. But let's go back to uh, you buying cloud services, right? Or you buying, let's say, data API if you're a developer. Um, I know how much I'm going to use. I'm going to call this API 100 times. I'm going to call it 1,000 times. And I'll only call it when I have, I'm just going to make this scenario, when there's a peak load, right? I mean, this is what Amazon already does that, right? And, and I'll, I'll, and so I'm only going to pay for what I use. So you're right, not everywhere, but there's a lot of instances, um, whether it is for data monetization, API monetization, it could be video streaming. I, I don't want to pay for uh, a fourth or the fifth service that I just came out and I like the movie on it. You know, or I'll give you I'll give you a better example. I, I I give the streaming example all the time, but that's been talked about a lot. If I'm a student, okay, and I'm doing some research, not everything is free out there on the, on Google or the internet. There are lots of publications that are very expensive. I would like to buy this one chapter on which I'm writing an article. I I can't do that. I'll have to buy a very expensive publication where I pay five six hundred dollars a month, right? To do that, so there is a lot of benefit, uh, and you're right. It's it's not it's not direct. That not everything needs to be unbundled, but there are certain aspects. There are certain products out there I, I can very easily see, uh, and I would say there are a lot of that. By the way, not just some of them, which can be very easily unbundled, and both the merchants can make money off it, right? And the consumers now just have more options. Uh, to um, more options to buy, right? So it's extremely beneficial. Um, now, if a product is already offered for one a dollar a month, I have to, I'm with you on that. Like, I won't even bother. Like, I'll give you an example here, right? I yeah, I yeah. use uh, I use Netflix. I've been a Netflix member since 1999, right? Very early on. I will never not subscribe to it. I, I, I will. It's so convenient. I use it every day, right? Now, there are other services, and I don't want to just go after this. I have two or three of them. But at some point, you reach a saturation point. You're saying, hmm, I like that movie, but I'm not going to subscribe, and then cancel it. So if you look at all the numbers, and let's just take an example of streaming video. If you look at Netflix, Disney, HBO, many of these services, they've all reached saturation. As to, there's only so many families in this country who can actually afford the third or the fourth, even the first service on a flat fee. So the market is ready. You asked me a question, why did we think about building this platform? Because I think there is an appetite, there is a need, and there is technology that will make that possible. So mm. I, that's when we made a decision that let's go ahead and build this platform and out there. And and when you look at the crypto world, uh, there is the NFTs, there is all sorts of services that are out there that you might want to buy in a micro level. Um, and then one la one last thing which we didn't even talk about is just look at smart grids, smart cities. Um, look at IoT devices. The data that two devices, two machines, um, uh, not sell each other but send to each other. All of those alerts. Uh, an example would be you're driving your electric or your connected car. 
And at some point, you might be able to sell that data to a smart grid. And I'm not talking someday. It might even happen this year, where a smart city grid would require your data and would pay you. For privacy, I'm going to ask you, can I take that data because it's going to help me build a better traffic management system? I'll pay you 15 cents for that. There is no micropayment or there's no payment services for device-to-device communication, uh, 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 monetization of device-to-device communication. Or if you have a car which is generating electricity and you want to supply it back to the grid, if you make that up, and that's a real case here. I'm I'm not picking this up. There's a real case there. There is no payment service which can give you 15, 20 cents for anything under $20. There is no efficient way of... uh, of uh, monetizing and providing a service to do that. So there's a lot of cases. Interesting, yeah. And do you view the problem from a product standpoint as being the tr- uh, transaction costs on credit cards? So the the structure of the like, uh, you know, point, the 2.5% plus 30 cents just doesn't facilitate very small, frequent, very small transactions? Or how do you view the, like, the crux in the current system that, makes this a problem uh you you did hit a good point uh absolutely the credit card fees fees does not almost every payment method out there and there's there's a lot of innovative it's a very crowded market there's a lot of payment uh, uh platforms out there and you can start with paypal stripe square and there are hundreds of them all of them are built on the credit card network right and the innovation has happened but it's been happened for anything above $20. And I just put that number because if you do the maths, $20, $10, $5, it's like it it becomes very economically unfeasible for a merchant to offer that. So you're right. The credit card payment system does uh, add a wrinkle if you want to offer something for a dollar. If you want to do a micro donation right now, I mean, this is one of the cases we are working on. If you want to do micro royalty, let's say you're a music artist and you have your music in one of the... um, music websites and every time someone else listens to your music i would like that credit given to me right away even if it's 10 cents because it's adds up right for music artists especially uh, artists who are coming up um liquidity or having a cash flow is an issue right you can't do that you you can't do that with the credit card payments i mean i can't tip you a dollar if i wanted to if i'm a fan of yours if i want to tip you I could tip you, but by the time you get that, it will be a lot less. So the credit card system that were built, they were really built for larger payments. They were really never meant for this. So it's time for everyone to think about a completely new system where um, you can make million-dollar payments, but also think about the payments that are going to be made in small quantities. Um, and, and, And so, yes, the credit card network does does add a wrinkle to this and does make it very difficult. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it seems to me like there's this, Hey, you gave the example of Microsoft early on selling bundled software, Salesforce coming around and selling a subscription. Then, then as I think of it, the space between that is the space where you pay per how much you use, but it's not incremental based on tier plans. Cause the tier plans has been popular for a long time. It's kind of part of the subscription you pay for basic or premium or enterprise or whatever the names are and they ratchet up. Uh, you're, you're thinking about people or companies who are allowing their customers to pay based on maybe how much, how many minutes they view, uh, Netflix. So if Netflix were to 
move to this model, instead of paying $8 a month, it'd be like two cents a minute or something. So we months where I don't watch Netflix, I don't pay anything and vice versa. Or Mike, it could be as simple as, uh, I, I don't want to tell Netflix how to run the business, but I'm flying from Lo- Los Angeles to, to New York. It's a six hour flight. And I just want to do a micro subscription uh, for what, five hours. And that's ah, a small, right. so I do say micro payment, but I really like the word small value transactions, right? Now, this model really, if, if you if you really drill down, this model really, the more I think about it, is um, is for small, medium businesses who are struggling to get customers. And 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 he, here's my theory: if if you start any digital service, so let's say you you have a podcasting services, you and you wanna you wanna offer that uh, as a paid service to your customers. The only way you can do that and build is uh, you need to have awesome content on your website, which you do have, but you need to build momentum. And so it takes you one, two, three years of offering free services or putting an ad there before you can make money. Now you can do that if you have a lot of money, if you have a lot of uh, investment in you, or you have to go to a venture company and get yourself five, seven million dollars so that you can offer this services free and sometimes maybe fifty, hundred million dollars to offer this free before you can make any money. With paper use, I consider paper use the best thing in the world is free. Okay. It's the easiest thing to do is if I offer you free, I'm gonna click on it. Right. Hey, I'll try it out. The I think paper use is the next best thing after free. And then after that is subscription. For subscription, I need to think about it and like, well, I gotta pay you know, once a month, am I going to use this? And the chances are you saying no to a new service on subscription is very high, right? So we call paper use as a bridge between free, right, and the premium and the uh, and the uh, subscription service, right? It, it really it really creates that bridge. So it's not like saying no to free or no to uh, subscription. It's like there is no there is no layer in between. Let me try out something for next six months. And then, I, and then I'll, I'll go with subscription. You know, that, that's the whole idea. If you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it, like Coinbase, that is a mistake. We've heard the news lately. Exchanges closed, accounts frozen. We're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control. So what can you do about it? Well, you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself. And that's why today's show is sponsored by ZenGo. These guys realize that Storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, 
and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's $20 back for your first purchase of $200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It, it's probably worth calling out the, the tension between what both parties want, right? Like Netflix, in the case of them, re- representing all SaaS companies, they want you to use, they want you to pay every month. They hope that you use the software and that you get value from it. But ultimately, they're, they're optimizing for the payment. You could see this, uh, most, this, this exploitive difference most clearly when you sign up for a company. I, hesitate to name the name, but I signed up for one recently and I put my credit card in, use it to find a babysitter for my kid. And then to try to unsubscribe, I have to call them and they're only available like eight to five Eastern time and no holidays. And there's a long wait time. They they make it really, really hard to unsubscribe. And then it's like, what are they doing? They're trying to optimize for you paying them regardless of you getting value out of that exchange. And people get upset about that, reasonably so. I can see how a company like Netflix would not want to set an expiration date. So if I sign up for Netflix and I say, hey, I only want to use it for six hours. Imagine I I sign up today and there's a feature. It's like a drop down. It's like, would you like automatic cancellation of your plan? And I say yes. Uh, And then it says, well, when do you want us to cancel it? And then they can can pro rat, you know, they prorate that yeah it it seems like they could do that technically but boy it seems outside their financial incentive outside this thing i mean it's like the gym membership right uh and and i i wrote an article the other day even gyms even you know you, you go to a fitness center it used to be like you could never unsubscribe or you could never kill that membership uh, they would say come come tomorrow let me talk to you when you walk in they'll say it's a, and it'll be It'll be difficult. I should actually call and see if I can kill it. And you also are guilty that you you don't want to kill that membership because you're going to be unhealthy. So, but even them, if you look at, and it's it's really important to know that even the physical world where membership was a part of the deal, like that's the only way you could get it. Even they have moved to one day membership, right? There's there's a lot of gym where you can say I got a one day pass, right? Airlines have done that. You just buy the seat and everything else, all the frills you add to it. I'm saying the digital world has to move in that direction. You know, whether it's micropayment or what do you want to call it, it needs to be unbundled those services so people can pick and choose what they want to buy. And I strongly believe, I, I keep bringing up Netflix, but really this is not meant for the 
Netflixes. This is meant for any business which is has got competition with uh, with incumbents. So how do you get there? Well, you get there by let people try their products and services, and 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 as they try and they get comfortable, you can definitely offer them subscription. There is no middle ground. Is is the whole idea, and that's what the unmet need is. Well, you know, if you look at the market, there's not a lot of families. I mean, there's, there is a general population that can affect, and then there's this whole financial inclusion aspect of it where there's a lot of families who really can't afford this subscription, right? And so if you offer them the option to buy as you what you need, buy by consumption, pay by consumption, right? Um, it would be, you will definitely find 30, 40% of the population that can afford it will be able to buy it. You just find a wider customer base when you, when you offer the services. And it doesn't take a long. The reason merchants don't do that, it's it's not economically, it doesn't make sense, right? If I'm selling you something of $5 or even I'm selling for a dollar and I have to pay 40 cents or 38 cents to some payment service, then it makes no sense because there's not that much higher for margin. So by building a system, uh, providing a payment service where you can um, offer services at a much lower rate. And so the payment service makes, um, makes revenue, makes money. And then the merchant makes money. I think this is this is a much better solution. It, it's a it's a new idea. It's it, it's been talked about. It's it's been talked about forever. Okay, uh, it's a new concept and um, it's a new category, and people are warming up. Um, I also believe, and and we, we've been talking to a lot of merchants on this. Is you can you can do a lot of innovation when you try to unbundle the services, right? Yeah, I. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, you're you're paving out something new. Uh, how's it going? Give me where are you in terms of scope? People working in the project, or money raised, or re- revenue? However you measure it. Sure. So um, we um, let me give you a little bit of history, so I can I can take you that. Sure. The first thing that we built, uh, which also spurred up why we built Drop, is we built a product called Dragon Glass. Uh, Dragon glasses. Think about Dragon glasses like ether scan of Ethereum. Dragon glass is the ether scan for for Hadera Hashka, which is a distributed ledger uh, platform. So we we launched that in 2019. Lots of users are using it, subscribing to the API. And once that was built, because it gives you instant access to all the ledger information. Um, after that, in 2020, we started building Drop. Right. Um, uh, the first year was just constructing, creating a proof of concept, then showing it, then MVP, all of that stuff that you go through. And then it, we came to a point where we had to make sure that it's compliant uh, because we wanted to. One of the things I, I didn't mention this to you is the we did want to build a micropayment platform, but we also wanted to make sure that it could be utilized by by common person, meaning someone who's not just a, cri- a crypto. Uh, expert. Um, one of the things that we've noticed in the market is many of the micro solutions out there uh, expected you to buy and sell crypto or use only crypto. So we build a platform which has two payment rails um, and just call it two rails. One is fiat and the other is crypto, right? And it was very important for us because uh, I'm a big crypto person. I mean, we've been in the crypto industry for the last five years, so we understand it very well. But it's still not out there for the masses. I mean, you can't expect someone to buy 
um, or subscribe to a content uh, with with a uh, with crypto because now you're asking to buy. So there's a lot of friction there. So we build a platform where you can um, buy. You can use US dollars in this case, or you can use um, HBAR, which is the Hadera currency, right? So that was our first proof of concept, and uh, we built it. Uh, and then we went through the whole compliance thing, which is to make sure that we could actually offer this without any issue with FinCEN in this country. So we had we got legal opinions and we had to actually change the platform uh, to make sure that it is. And then after that, we we, were, we built it on Google, uh, Android, and on iOS. And then in 2021, uh, February, is when we realized that now now this is it. Now we, now we can start uh, uh, not launching merchants on it, but now people can use it. We could actually build real demos on it. And then uh, at some point in 21, we tried the platform on Dragonglass itself, right? Where you could buy APIs. If you go to dragonglass.me, you can buy APIs like for 49 cents, you can buy 1,000 APIs in, instead of subscribing. So first thing we wanted to do is use the product that we built and that we promoted. And then we saw most of the programmers were buying APIs, like 1,000, 10,000 APIs. There's a little scale there. And you can you can change the scale and it'll tell you how many cents and you just click on it and you can buy it. And then in this, in uh, February of this year, a couple of months back, is the time when we went launched it with the creator economy. Um, so the f- we studied the market for a while. We had a lot of email campaigns and uh, we went after video streaming, micro donations, uh, podcasts, podcast player. But the it resonated extremely well with uh, the creator economy. So in February this this year, we launched it with the creator economy. Um, and then in the month of uh, end of this month, which is April, we will be launching it in a, in a in a large way because we have some promotions that are coming up, and it's going to reach out to about three four thousand merchants. Um, we also got approved by Shopify, so we will be that, that's a big thing. So the one of the big things that's happening, it's already out. We were going to make a big announcement. The other big thing that we have been working on, and that's why we've been I wouldn't say we have been quiet. We've been out there, but we haven't announced it. We will be uh, offering USDC. So you can pay in US dollar and you can pay in USDC. So the payment rail is going to have both the stable currency and and, and fiat as uh, as a currency. And then we will also have a WordPress plugin for the creator economy. So all you need to do is download this plugin and and you, you're good to go, right? So that's where we are. I'm very widely excited about... Uh, the reception we received, and I think between the two currency of fiat and the, so uh, again, the theory is that we wanted to build um, a payment service and a wallet which is really easy to use. Um, mm-hmm. The minute you bring up all the crypto part of it, you start creating friction, and then you you lose the audience. So we wanted to make it very easy. However, we wanted to use all the cryptography that makes that wallet really, really secure, right? Mm. So uh, I I still think it's a challenge, but we, we're trying to bring all of that together. Yeah. Well, thank you for the the background there. Uh, have you have you raised money for this? Has this been out? Oh, yes, yeah. Parent company? Yeah, sorry. Thanks. Yeah. So in uh, we we put $2.5 million, uh, open crowd, the parent company from where we spin out, 
And in April of 2021, we started uh, raising money. We raised about $2 million um, of angel investment on top of that two and a half. And we're going to raise, and now we've decided to raise a million and a half before we get into Series A. Got it. Got it. Awesome. Awesome. And why did you guys choose to go with Hedera? So uh, that's a history, uh, both in terms of relationship and, and technology-wise. So in 2017, in, in the company OpenCrowd, uh, where we were uh, helping engineer a lot of products, we were working with Hedera Hashka. Uh, my development team was working with Hedera Hashka as an engineering partner. So we were the company that was, they were the engineers, and we, once the product was rolled out in 2019 is when, when, they, when they went live. Is so we know the product intimately. That's one. The second is the transaction cost is very low. So one of the one of the one of the one of the key reasons behind the technology here is by using a ledger, like and I, I'm using the word distributed ledger, not blockchain, because it is uh, it's not a blockchain. Hadera, uh, it's it's a distributed ledger. The our technology footprint is smaller, right? And that's and the transaction cost is smaller. Right, the way we're using the product, and that enables us to reduce the transaction costs. Right now, we charge I, I, a merchant five cents on a dollar, right? So, and that's five percent on the first dollar. That means even if they charge ten cents, it'll be five percent of ten cents, right? And we do that till the fifth dollar, and after that, it is one percent plus twenty-five cents, right? So, at any point, you know, and hoping, and you can go to a fraction of a cent if you want to. Not that, that that there are that many use cases, but we are cheap at any point. And whether it's a million dollar or it is one cent, right? So we made the transaction got real low. And the way you can do that, uh, the way we did it, is by using the ledger to do all the ledger um, accounting uh, calculations. And everything is managed there in the ledger. It's also uh, has become the platform for complete transparency. So you don't have to trust drop. You can just actually use Dragon Glass or any other explorer and access that information. So, you know, the, the promise of blockchain has always been, or the decentralized has been transparency, immutable, and the fact that you can do transactions really, really fast in real-time settlement, right? We use all those three properties um, to create this platform. Interesting. And, and yeah, I love it. I love it. And with Hedera, what were the leading, I, I certainly... Given your familiarity with Hedera, there's a, a, a bias towards using it, which makes sense, a logical bias. Did you look deeply at other um, distributed ledgers? Was Ethereum on the table or uh, other Solana? Or By other, the way, we, we do use Ethereum. Um, sorry, Dragonglass was initially built on Ethereum. Uh, like It was an explorer for Ethereum. Uh, so we are very familiar with Ethereum. The transaction cost, uh, Mike, that, that was the... Uh, that was um, uh, just makes it not feasible to build a micropayment platform. And that time, and the transaction speed, uh, another thing. So it's a transaction cost and the speed. I mean, that's the most common thing we talk about in the blockchain industry. Um, this is 2019-20, where the transaction cost was really high on Ethereum for to do a micropayment. So you'll be spending more cents, more dollars, on sending 10 cents than making m any money on it. In fact, I think it would have been more expensive than a credit card. But also the transaction speed. So one thing we didn't talk about is when, when we talk about 
the building a payment infrastructure for the digital economy, you're also talking about, let's say there's an IoT transaction. There is a transaction between a connected car and a smart grid or two devices. Those transactions happen in split seconds. So, and a lot of them happen in a minute. So you need the throughput and it's very important. And that's going to be the future. And, and you will see that, uh, although this is more of conceptual, you will see the same thing in the metaverse. It's not going to be the credit card payments. It probably is going to be crypto or some sort of a digital payment system like Drop. It has to be with the speed, the number of transactions you're going to do, small transactions uh, in a minute is going to be a lot more than what the uh, what goes on on the credit card network. Uh, the throughput of Hadera Hashgraph is is very large. It's, it's, it's uh, right now even in this phase, it is ten thousand uh, a second. Uh, there are now other blockchains uh, technologies like Solano, and many of them offer it. But I'm talking about this is 2019, 2020. Uh, they were they were none. They were absolutely mm. none there. So yeah. Uh, yeah. and now we use the token system, and it's still very and it's a fixed price. Oh, one more thing, it's a fixed price. So it's not like it like the gas it goes up and down. It's fixed. So it's perfect. I mean, it's 100 percent perfect for what we wanted to do. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I dig it. I, I'm actually not that familiar with it. So it's fun to hear your uh, description and critique of the distributed ledger, the protocol at Hedera. Um, yeah, interesting. So how do you how do you sort of see the, the do you agree with the idea that uh, transaction costs for payments are going to decrease across the spectrum of transacting for a penny all the way up to a million dollars, and that there's an incredible amount of pressure from on Visa, MasterCard, the credit card networks, and that they're just, they're looking at this situation and saying, uh, we know that our margins are going to get pinched by the innovation on blockchain. And then it's just a matter of integrating the, if you think of the, what we're doing as a society or a civilization, we're taking this distributed ledger system, this blockchain, and we're figuring out what the best methods for uh, payment transactions are in different applications of what people are buying. But at the end of the day, the credit cards are the ones that are going to be leapfrogged. They're going to be surpassed. They're going to be surpassed. Okay. All right. So a um, couple of points there, right? Um, and I'll, I'll sort of express my point of view a little later, but let me first answer your question. Uh, I, I can, I'm very sure that the credit card networks are looking into uh, revamping their infrastructure. And I said revamping is rebuilding on a completely different platform. Uh, I don't have any insight, but if I was them, I would. I mean, this this infrastructure they've done very well in the last 50 years. It was built 30, 40 years back and it was upgraded. But really, um, when you build system, the kind of the payment system I'm talking about, like even, even Drop, which is not big like Visa or any of the big, big credit card companies, uh, it is just far more efficient, right? It, even the little token systems, like the fact that you have $5 and you paid merchant $100, and when you pay that five tokens to the merchant, that whole management, which we take it for granted in the distributed ledger, you got to write thousands of lines of code, mm. right? When, you, when you're not using a distributed ledger, okay? Or blockchain technology. So... For them, they have to be looking into this this technology. Um, or as just like 
if you miss the boat on open source or if you miss the boat on internet, you will miss the boat on this. So would they have to? They will have to. The, I'm just hoping and th that when they revamp and when they build it on a new infrastructure, they build it on a public distributed ledger or a public blockchain technology. I hope they do that. I think if, if you remember in, in 97, 98, uh, that was a time uh, I, I was a, uh, a CTO of a company called Sign, um, which which um, which was in e-business. We were building internet technologies. Lots of banks we were talking to, they were mostly interested in talking to us, but they were also wanting to build it on something called an extranet. Right, which defeats the purpose. It really does. It just gives you a faster connection between two people. The, what the what open source did, what I'm sorry, what internet did, what open source is, it, it really got everyone involved. You know, and this is what the creator economy is about. And open source was like the early version of creator economy. You get more people involved in helping you build an infrastructure, right? So I think they will. And if they don't, all of these other technologies will leapfrog them. But I, I think I, I mean I don't have an insight in this, but I'm I'm 100% sure without insight that they are all looking into some sort of faster technology, hopefully open um, an open ledger or an open blockchain technology. Hopefully, because anything else would be meaningless. And I've seen it come out, and I've seen uh, I don't want to quote I don't want to give an example because I'll be putting down a company, but I've seen large financial institutions come out and say, hey, we just did this on, on a ledger. And then when you look at it, it's a permission ledger between them and the merchant. Right. And it, right. I, I always right. go back to 98, 97, when, yeah, I've heard this. I've seen this movie before. And it's, it's not going to be successful. You need right. to have, right. you need to engage people in it. So anyway, that's my thing. Now, I want to just tell you one one thing. You had asked me a question. I... Uh, I have a belief, and we all in Drop have a belief that the cost of a transaction uh, is is going to continue going lower. Right? Th this is a belief I have, and not everyone agrees with me. And um, I think some of the people who are big fans of us because they think we're going to do extremely well, they might not like this point of view either. But I really believe that the cost of transaction is going to keep going lower. The way payment systems, payment services like Drop and all of us will continue to make revenue and money is we will have to offer services that helps merchant uh, build their businesses. So what does that mean? If the transaction, well, we offer um, micro subscriptions. We do uh, offer, we're going to charge for that. We have loyalty points. We have something called offers. There's a lots of services that a payment service can provide because we know the transaction and we can offer that to the uh, merchant. And that's where the, all these value-added services is going to be the real value which a payment service is going to provide. That's my belief. Uh, and if it won't happen right away, it'll happen in five years from now. Um, just like the trading world, right? Right now, you you can get you can trade right now on E-Trade and many of the other companies for free, right? Mm -hmm. But in, 90, in the early 90s, I used to pay $40 for a transaction. And now I'm paying nothing. So I think it's the same thing that's going to happen here. Similar yeah, yeah. yeah, I almost find it hard to disagree with that because I mean, I, I'd be curious what the what the contrarian viewpoint is on that, because it seems like just like technology becoming cheaper over time, software becoming cheaper over time, 
uh, over time, things move in a positive direction when people work on them. And positive here for the consumer would mean a decrease in the transaction costs of money. Similar to, you know, your example on the trading of a stock, when that goes to zero, when somebody does that, they have to subsidize their income as a company from something else. And so uh, it naturally makes sense that if you give away a product as a loss leader, you make it up on the backside by by adding more value. And you're kind of you're like bundled back bundling in uh, what a company would be looking for. So in the case of say Shopify there, or you know, you guys, when you give away, say you were to make, let's make transaction costs zero. Why not? It's only 1%, 25 cents per transaction going that way. Anyways, the reason why someone would use it, given there's 10 different free transaction services out there would be more than that. It would be, Hey, they allow us to do email sending or analytics or blah, blah, blah. And then you're paying on top of it for that. Whereas the transaction, instead of that becoming the moneymaker, that's just like a side note. It's like, oh, they have transac- free transaction costs, of course. So does everyone else. Everyone Absolutely. Else. No, I, I'm, I'm with you, Mike. And that's my idea. Like in, in Drop, what we've done is, uh, what, what's the first thing that you do when you like an article? Well, you share it with your friends. You say, hey, did you read this article? What we've done in our service is when you refer someone, right, the merchant now, it's all built into the API. It's all API-based, the whole system. Uh, so you can embed it anywhere. But when your friend or anyone in your family, when they buy that content, the merchant has the ability to give you a referral fee automatically, right? So you're basically giving the merchant the ability um, or all the capabilities to make that content go viral. They can monetize it. So you might have bought an article for 50 cents and probably end up making $10 because you shared it in a community and all of them bought it. The, and the merchant and the way we build the the API, it's it's all embedded in it. Uh, not your name, uh, hash ID of yours, and then you get in your wallet when you look at it, you'll start seeing credits. This is exactly how we. So these are all services. Like we also have another one called offers, which is very uh, simple in, in, in thinking. Is if uh, oh, but, uh, just one more thing by the way. In, in before I get into offers, privacy is another very important thing in, in digital transactions. Uh, privacy has become more and more important now, right? And especially in microtransactions, when you do 10 transactions and you might have just spent only $5 all day, you're in different merchant sites. Privacy is going to be very important. So one of the things that we do, and I completely missed, uh, forgot to make the, m- mention this, is we do not share your identity with the merchant. It's, it's very important. We don't share that. Identity. We know who it is. It's not anonymous. It's just private, right? So... Now, the merchant has an issue of like, how do I reach out to this customer, right? Well, we let them do that. We let them make you an offer or give, send you a coupon or something, but they don't know it's you. All they know is you did buy that article. So it's possible that he might like the next, uh, next article. So we've left a, sort of the gate open without sharing the identity, right? So all of these services, my, my point was all of these services, you the merchant would be more than happy to pay you because now he's got you engaged right on your mobile, right? It's like an it's like an ad that you put in, but it's not like a shotgun approach. We know exactly he did, he did read my ear, not my email, my watch my movie. I'm gonna send him 25% discount for the next movie, and I've got it right. So these are all the services where payment gateways or payment services would end up uh, 
making money, which is the value-added services. And that, that's my belief. It won't happen right away, but in the next five years, I think we'll see more and more of that. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Where do you feel like the first early adopting segments of the market are? Do you feel like it's it's offline or online or some other uh, split of the market between industry? So, no, no, uh, good point. So right now, we just you know our focus is a creator economy. Uh, there's 50 million, and that's the number I've, I've seen in the market. There's about 50 million uh, creators in the world, and most of them, many of them do not have ways to easily monetize their content. I mean, they ha- either have to host it on someone else's website or they get a marginal value out of hosting on someone's website. But there's no easy way. The only way is using a credit card. So we are actually, that is the the need in that economy or in that community is, is the most. So we are actually definitely going after the digital market. But, if you look at small payments, small payments is not always digital. You pay for your parking. You pay for, if you have a, one of the EV cars, you pay for charging. So it's also digital cash, right? Any anything, Any payment that you make under $10 is digital cash. And less and less people are carrying cash. So our second um, sector that we're going to go after is EV infrastructure, which is becoming bigger and bigger in this country. Uh, parking meters, all of them. And if you look at many of the parking wallets, they all use uh, a credit card. That means anytime you pay $2 or $3, someone is not making money. Uh, I can guarantee you that. But they, they're letting you do that because you're, they're hoping you'll use it for larger uh, purchases. Mm. The way we build the system, you don't have to make a large purchase. You make money in, in, in every transaction. And that's how we build the system. So, mm. yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to ask you about uh, OpenCrowd. You're uh, the current chairman of OpenCrowd. I'm curious to hear what, yeah, what what it is that they do and what yeah drew your attention to them. You know, it's it's been uh, it, I've been a CEO founder of OpenCrowd for like 17 years. The um, we built the company in 2005. We started the company in 2005 in, in New York, uh, and the focus then, uh, in, in a way, even now was um, helping the financial sector innovate using open source technologies. In 2005, open source is everything right now. It wasn't. The the most common open source that was used was Linux operating system and maybe MySQL database, right? And that's 2005 is the time when LAMP came in, Python became started becoming mainstream, but only in Silicon Valley, not in the financial institution. 
So we helped many of these uh, financial institutions uh, use open source technologies. So we would actually go in there and build the entire infrastructure uh, technology platforms. But the other thing that we were also uh, got involved is um, helping startups build products, right? So many of the startups would get a Series A investment, like under $5 million or sometimes Series A. And then we would become their product company. We would help them build it for like 12 months. And once they launch it, um, then they would hire their own team and they would kind of fade away. And we, we, in every couple of years, we got into new technologies. In It was uh, open source in 2005. 2007, we got into social networking. Facebook had just come out. And using the principles of social networking, we were able to help a lot of businesses for business collaboration. We had IBM. IBM was a big client then. Uh, in 2005, it was Morgan Stanley. And then in um, 2008 and 2009, we got into AWS Amazon. Uh, very early on, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, most of the banks were not interested in talking to us just because they felt that there was it was not something they would ever use, which is not the case right now. In fact, we were asked to take open source and cloud out of our presentation because they said that's a bad word in the bank. Well, now they all use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, what, what do you think is going on there? So in the beginning, early days, people are building software. It makes sense to keep it proprietary. They want to maintain total ownership. They view it as uh, their unique intellectual IP. And they don't want people stealing it. I presume fear is the dominant emotion that was early on, just like hardware technology or something else. You wouldn't just pu- publish your, you know, your CAD models or your all your everything publicly. You take the same process software, then the game flips, like you said, with open source and MySQL and uh, Linux and Python, everything else becoming open source. The beauty in open source, the, the driving factor being that everyone can add to it we when bugs naturally arise you're going to find out faster yeah somebody might take advantage of that but the the patch will happen quicker and you're using the intelligence of the masses and that now is is what that was resisted by the banks because they felt scared probably that hey if we use software that's being developed publicly then we would get hacked this uh, walk me through what you think the psychology the psychological evolution was yeah. No, no, good question, actually. Yeah. It does bring me back in the last decade. So I think the, uh, they like the, the fact that it's free and all, but there are two things they did not like about open source. And it, it was a struggle initially. Uh, we did not do well for the first year. And after that, we did very, very well. Is the, There's no support structure in open source. And most financial institutions, and I can see that, is like, I, I can't call anyone. Uh, so then there were like these open source um, solution companies or services, com- um, sorry, support companies that that kicked in. And the second is you're liable if you get sued. If that piece of code in that open source was stolen from somewhere else, there were major lawsuits um, with Linux operating system and many of them. And they didn't want that. So actually, we would use software. We would use software in 2006 and 7. Like if we recommend a stack, we have to give them all the libraries. And they would use a software from a different company. I'm trying to remember that. And they would scan it and see if there was anything in that software that would infringe on someone's rights. Um, it, so GPL, we had, we were very averse with all the licensing scheme and all of them. So 
it was a lot of friction there with open source. So most of the startups saw the value. I mean, that's how Amazon got built. I mean, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have AWS without open source. So it, it was more about fear, which was put in by some large organizations which were not open source friendly, that, hey, if you use that software, you could get sued for billions of dollars. Okay. So that stopped it and you have no support. Now, the second thing with cloud, it was all about control because they had already spent so much money on a data infrastructure. They just couldn't see it. That And these are the same banks in 2014 said, do you know anyone who knows S3 or any of the uh, elastic uh, services from, um, from AWS? And we said, you know, we've been doing this for the last 10 years. Uh, so it, it's all about control and fear. You're right about it. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they could, so the banks, they, the banks using their own proprietary software systems couldn't see that if a open source, uh, say data storage service is available, they couldn't see using it because the idea that, Hey, all these lines of code are going to be available on the internet for free, available to anyone and worked on by everyone. That concept, what were they fearing? Were they fearing that, that because it was in the cloud, the fear was, sort of real if you, if you look at it if you're a bank uh, and is they've spent money and all sorts of security system to make sure that the data is right there in front of them in the data center mm. although that was not completely true because the data centers you can break into that too so they just couldn't see taking that customer data and putting it out there in the cloud there, there was just a mental shift right unless you give me that security also took AWS, and I'm not any cloud, not, it doesn't have to be AWS. All of these cloud companies, it took them about seven, eight years to sort of ensure that security that we are as safe as your data center, right? Right. So right. Th- there were some valid reasons, but there were so much, um, uh, the fear was so much that when we used to present solutions, they would ask us directly, was this built on AWS? Was this built on a cloud? If it was, then we're not a cloud-friendly company. This is 2009-10. Yeah. But yeah. the startups were, it was it was perfect. I mean, they didn't have to buy a single hardware and we would be live in 90 days. Our yeah. proposition in the market yeah. used to be, uh, once we finish the design, we'll take you live in 90 days. It makes sense. That because it of makes the cloud. sense. You know, if you, if, you, if you think of a bank, the, the bank the bank traditionally had giant, I mean, look at like an iconic bank. It's in the middle of the town center. It's got giant columns, which are representing proverbial uh, vaults and safety. Like we've got armed guards outside and deep inside is where we keep the gold. And and your and our job is to protect it, like safety of the, of the, of the gold. And so, tr- you know, things change slowly in, in industries that, that, that needs to change slowly, like banks, because that's where we place an, an incredible amount of our stored energy as a society and accounting, which is critical to the stability of civilization. And so I think of the the slow roll of banks forward is, hey, if we have servers, those are th- that is the bank. The server is the bank. And so if we're gonna give over, <laughs> if we're gonna give over the trust that we sell to our customers, uh, instead of armed guards, it's security around the the data centers. We're just going to give that to Amazon. It's like it's a big deal. I mean, it's like uh, now we think of what is a bank, right? Now you see all these, you know, new web based banks pop up that have no presence, and it's like, yeah, yeah. And so it's it's trust in the open source. Yeah, but Mike, things have changed. I mean, I've seen we've been talking to a lot of banks uh, because of drop, and um, 
I, I, I saw the change in 98 when the internet came in. They all started looking at it and they started calling us and we were having deep conversations. They're happening again because they realize that there is a change happening. You know, the, the customer customers who are coming to them are different. Uh, they're the way they transact with the bank is different. There is technology out there and they need to use it. So banks are going to move, I would say, in the next five years, they'll definitely be moving in the ledger technology and all of that. I saw a lot of resistance being open source. I saw it took a decade before they started using some parts of the cloud. They don't use for everything even now. Uh, The ledger still remains in the bank. It doesn't go to the cloud. Mm. They're only using the cloud for secondary reporting and all those facilities. The real crux, your KIF, which is a customer information file, is still in a physical data center. But now I've seen they are absolutely looking at digital currencies and, and, and ways because their customer base is asking them, what about crypto? So there is a demand. They definitely see the technology. There is still a lot of risk there. And unfortunately, many of the banks have to comply with everything out there. So it's not easy. But they are. You will see a transformation. And, and also that's required because once they start moving in that direction, we will see the DeFi world become larger and larger. And uh, there'll be a lot more adoption of this technology because you need everyone to come together for something to go up. So yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I think you will see that very soon. Yeah, yeah. I, I find it kind of interesting, this sort of centralization versus flattening out. And it almost seems like, like I, I'm curious to hear your reactions to this. If if whether or not it's a a linear step forward, like we had consolidation of data and and knowledge basically, and then it got flattened out through open source. And the same thing is happening in in crypto, where it's a it's a flattening out. Is hey, let me publish what I have in my wallet to everybody. Therefore, the the trust that is correct is is as high as it can possibly be. Instead of putting all my trust in one institution to keep track of that. I'm going to show everybody, we can all see it, we all agree on it, and there's consensus in, in the blockchain. And and I wonder if that then gets consolidated again, that it uh, that is sort of like an oscillating flow of uh, power and control that in a way, like, I don't know how this, how this relates, but it, it also feels the same in the political sphere, where there's the complete, like, pure, imagine pure capitalism, and then pure centralization uh, of power. It's there. The answer seems to be somewhere between those. Like neither one can can can, can really work. You know, you know I, I mean, uh, you, you just made me think about this. The oscillation. I think that's that's a good term because in the early nineties, uh, we were uh, just before the early nineties. It was all mainframe. Okay, everything was single. And then we went into this technology called client server. And uh, many of the uh, firms, enterprises got into client server where there is a, like a visual basic front end and a, and a database, Oracle, Sybase, and Ingress in the back end. And then in the, in the mid-90s, we got into the distributed technology and there was a technology called Cobra, uh, Cobra which we used to use, which was distributed. And then came the internet, right, which took it to the next level where in a way, we became centralized because you still have the browser, you have the browser, and then you have something in the back end, right? With the cloud, 
I feel that we oscillated back because now you have this giant machine, four or five of them all over the world, which, I mean, think about them as, as a mainframe. Mm. They're like super duper computers. And all of us are like little nodes. So we're back to what was there in the 80s, right? So yeah, it, it keeps oscillating. And you never know with edge computing, it, things might... Yeah, edge computing. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's... It. But your question about, or your uh, comment on DeFi and CeFi, it's not this or the other. I really believe in, and some of those ideas are also in our drop. I, I really wanted to make sure that we build drop using the efficiency of the DeFi world, distributed technology. But I also wanted to use the regulated technologies, like we use Plaid, and we use all of that when when you uh, fund the fund the account, because it's not this or the other. You, you have to pick the best of both. Okay, one of the best thing that the DeFi world offers is you can do peer-to-peer uh, transfers of, of value very efficiently. There is no other technology in the world, no wire transfer, no ACH, no credit card. Uh, blockchain technology has done it better than any any other technology. The second is there's no intermediaries. And the third thing which I really like um, is the, you know, when you use smart contracts, the fact that you can escrow something, you can keep it as a custody and release it with some rules. Now, those are very simple things. I mean, anyone who knows blockchain does that. But those three things have been utilized, and so many business models can be built with that. Uh, just as an example, in in 2012, in Open Crowd, we helped a very large investment bank build a collateral collateral management system. Basically, same thing. I, I've taken your collateral, and I'll, I'm going to return you when you pay my money back, right? That entire system, I and took us a couple of years and millions of dollars. That entire system right now could be built on the DeFi world, I would say, within six months, and it would be extremely efficient in CPU, in, in resources, all of that, right? So I'm I'm really I'm a very optimistic person. I, I think that the banks are gonna look at that and realize, wow, I don't have to do all this coding. I could just use that. So I'm hoping and I'm not just hoping, I think it's going to be a hybrid world as we go further. You will still have bank accounts, but you will, for certain things, you will just rely on the on the technology. And it, it will be all transparent. I mean, it, it, it will not be transparent. Sorry, it will be completely um, um, sort of uh, a black box to you because it's going to be either this or that. You won't even realize. Mm. Um, yeah. And, 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 and yeah. that's the world we're going to get. It's a C5. People think there are two divisions. There's going to be a bridge, and that's when there will be a mass adoption of blockchain technologies. Bam. When, Bam. Yeah, and r- right now that's the issue. If you look at DeFi world, the it hasn't met the physical world yet. It's just virtual out there. You, you you have to connect that NFT world to the physical world, and that's when the common person will start using it. If I can take my tractor, and if I want, if I can take it to a pawn shop and create an NFT, and all of you guys can give me a loan on it, then then that's the usefulness. It's not that I create an emoji and everyone bought it. Now, how many people create an emoji? If I'm a farmer or uh, if I'm somebody who's having a tough time um, running my life, uh, you know, meeting, uh, making enough money and I want to pawn something, and I, this is just an example I'm throwing at you, I should be able to walk in there to some service with they, they scan it, they create a token of it, instantly and 100 people uh give me a loan far efficient far uh better loan than i would have got from a regular pawn shop 
mm-hmm. because there are hundred people and they're ready to end that punch. That that machine is physically stored in it, right? Yeah. When those kind of yeah. use cases become big. I think that's when the DeFi world is going to become bigger. So I think it's going to be a merging of CFI and DeFi. I, I really think it is. Totally. And I think that the oscillation will be, there'll be a massive uh, spreading out or, or decentralization of the ability to give and receive loans through NFTs and, and uh, on-chain uh, lending. And then there'll be consolidation again when people specialize in specific loan areas. So I'm uh, specializing in agricultural tools as a lender on chain. So it's not just anybody who's going to go like we're still evaluating this tractor in your case. You know, so so knowledge of farming and tractors, all that stuff is still valuable, but now it's open to everyone. So there'll be I think a, a whole new explosion of people realizing this and then saying, "Hey, I'm a farmer. I'm not making money farming anymore. I, and maybe let me just become a a a, a lender and invest money into on-chain blockchain these kind of deals that come up and i think that's that's exciting that's exciting yeah. and, and my th- thing is um i'm sure you've been to a lot of conventions of, of or uh, any meeting that takes place from, from the, on the DeFi world and people talk about financial inclusion and all of this stuff but really there's not much financial inclusion happening the, the people who are into the crypto are just trading Mm-hmm. Right, and that is because most of the if you are a farmer sitting in a remote part of the world, or even in this country, crypto is not what you do. Right, so I, I think the the promise of DeFi and financial inclusion and all of that that people talk about it will only happen if you bring that world and connect this to the physical world. So this tractor example is actually a good example in a way. Is when you start doing that, I think the efficiency of the DeFi could be utilized by a common person. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's where the rubber meets the road. Sushil, uh, it's so fun to get to meet you. I, I love what you're working on. I love the background, and I love the the amount of time that you spent in this industry to see the trends over long periods of time. It's really unique, and I appreciate it. Uh, are you writing or tweeting or uh, anywhere you're publicly available? Uh, I I write a lot of articles uh, every couple of weeks. I think Payment Journal just. Payment Journal is about to uh, publish one. Isabella, I can tell you more about it. But yes, I, I constantly write articles uh, on not just on micropayment, but just the payments and, and the DeFi world. Uh, I don't write a lot on cryptocurrency. I'm not an expert in that. But I we I definitely do. You know, And I'm, I'm definitely on Twitter. So, yeah. And what, do you recall your Twitter uh, username? Nice, nice. Uh, and I'm sure people can find your articles just from from typing in Sushil Prabhu, your name. And um, are there any particular people or books or anything that you wanted to give a shout out to that you've learned from over the years? You know, uh, I, I read a lot uh, when it comes to like the uh, just computer related s- stuff. But one of the, because I have an engineering background, um, I look for something beyond engineering and uh, when it comes to marketing, um, we had someone who was ahead of our marketing in sign, a company I worked at in, in 1998, and his name is Chris Lockhead. And uh, he is he is something whom I do follow. And it's, it's called the... He has this whole thing about creating a new category. And he has this blog called the Category, category Pirates. Mm. I follow that all the time. 
great ideas on marketing yeah. and very revolutionary, very different thinking. And and um, I, I love reading it. it. It comes out, I think, every month. Uh, I love it. His, his love articles. It. So I subscribe to that. I love it. I love it. So, Shil, thanks again and congrats. And I hope you guys keep crushing. Thank you very much, Mike. Thanks for taking the time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you.